Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. Lieutenant, is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? If you make yourself more than just a man, the figure in the dark was my destiny. If you devote yourself to an ideal, I've got to strike fear in them from the start. Then you become something else entirely. There are things about me that you wouldn't understand. What are you? I'm Batman. Welcome to Bat Month, a special presentation of the Dork Knights dedicated to the many incarnations of one of the greatest superheroes of all time. As part of this dynamic duo, I am your host, MB, and joining me is the Bob to my Napier, the Knox to my Eckhart, and the Shrek to my Penguin, Birdman. Before we get into the show, I have to say... You said Batman is one of the greatest superheroes. One of, come on, don't, don't, don't insult Batman like that. It's not an insult because I'm lying, and you know he would do that too because he's crafty like that. False modesty. That's what you're best at. Yeah, pretty much. I ju- I just want to be fair to all the other people who falsely believe that Batman isn't the greatest thing ever existed. Yeah, those people. I say that eighty um, percent of people love Batman. The other 20% are a bunch of liars. <laughs> Did you get that from somewhere? Yes, maybe. I don't know. Probably. I probably stole it from somewhere. Yeah, well, neither of us are perfect. Yeah. But as this installment of Bat Month carries on, we actually have gotten into an era you and I are more familiar with, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this is kind of our territory. Yeah, this is where, for you and I, it gets, uh, it gets personal. Not in a... You know, cheesy action action thriller kind of way, but well, uh, well, I mean, Sly Stallone is there and he's shooting. You know, he's shooting dramatically at the camera. Yeah. Ooh, personal. <laughs> and uh, you know, saying Batman ruined the action movie genre. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's something I thought of uh, a few days ago when I was watching the film. How he was a big uh, proponent of uh, wearing the the body suits and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, apparently to him a superhero needs to be a, a roid rage freak. Yeah, exactly. Someone who needs to pretend to box. Yeah, run around chasing a chicken. That's Batman to push Sloan. <laughs> exactly. But we're here to talk about the Tim Burton films of the 90s, which were the well, start... Late 80s, 89 to... Yeah, I, just, I wanted to create you right there. 89 is when they started. Asshole. Aha. But yeah, yeah, technically... As much as I hate to admit it, he is correct. Uh, the first one actually came out in 1989 after a pretty long process of trying to get made. Like, it was in development hell for about 10 or 15 years before it actually started to go into production. And these are the first two films of the what I would consider to be the more accepted Batman media in that it was the first Batman film. It was the first set of Batman films done by Warner Brothers, and that actually made it into a franchise, which is like, which is a first for the films. Um, you know, 20th Century Fox did the first Adam West Batman, and Columbia did the serials. So, with this, it was like, I think Warner Brothers was trying to do something new with it, and trying to go out of their way to say, well, okay, people know the Adam West franchise, and 
all that, but we're not really looking to do that. Yeah, it was, I think, one of the first times that uh, Batman was doing serious, I guess serious. Um, the serials were kind of serious in, a, in their own way. Yeah, kind of. But, you know, then they started going after the Chippy Eye Jets. Yeah. Uh, which is never a bad thing. Of course. Um, um, those crafty people. I was just, I was just going to let that sit there for a while. Yeah, let's do that. I, I, I'll, I'll let, I, it's always good to have awkward pause after uh, racial slurs thrown. Exactly. As you well know. Yes. Um, but, yeah, um, you mentioned... It was, you know, in development for many, many years, and this is something I mentioned uh, in one of the first episode. But I do think that Batman is a media franchise, uh, or is a film franchise. Um, then, with those four films and the three films uh, that Christopher Nolan's in, they owe us uh, an immense debt of gratitude to the. Uh, first superhero film feature length superhero film which was Superman the uh, Richard Donner uh, Christopher Reeve Superman from the 70s well for this franchise it's actually the most directly uh, it's actually the most directly owed to that film because the only reason that Warner Brothers ever took an interest in doing Batman as a film franchise was because of Superman's success yeah and, and I, I think in some way, not just Batman, but like all superhero films in a way, because without Superman doing good, you wouldn't have had Batman do good, and that wouldn't have gotten people to thought about, well, let's look at some of the other comic book characters. Yeah. And see, you know, if we can turn them into films. Yeah, and uh, this one actually, when it was starting to get made, it was actually... There was a script book done by a guy named uh, Tom Mankiewicz, who was one of the writers on Superman. Mm-hmm. And his draft was... I've read his draft online, and it was... It was... I mean, it had good elements in it. Um, it was a little bit too... I would say, in the opposite direction of where Burton eventually went. Like, like, in, like, like in what way? Like, you had giant typewriters and all that you had all the like the tropes of like the 1950 comics uh-huh. um silver saint cloud was the love interest instead of vicky vale yeah i think uh rupert thorne was the villain the penguin featuring in it um but but one of the good things about that script was that they actually went back and did the origin which wouldn't have been done for another good 20 25 years yeah that's right because um, yeah, when Batman, the first movie starts, like, you know, he's already active as Batman. He's been active for you know, at least a little while. Yeah, it's it's not really made very clear how long he's been going, but he's been going... He's relatively early in his career, I would say. Um, he's... You know, people are starting to report sightings, and, you know, the police are kind of... Police are kind of uh, dismissing it as just rumor, and even Commissioner Gordon doesn't believe he exists until he yeah. sees him. Yeah, um, and he's played more as like an urban legend, almost. I would yeah. say, which you know, I kind of I, I like that because um, yeah, you know, you don't really when you think of a guy like that, you wouldn't think he'd necessarily be, you know, a deputized law enforcement agent. No, or the Gotham PD. No, and um, going back to sort of how it was made, like when I mentioned that other script, it, it's kind of. 
it's you can see the seeds of what eventually would become this in that it's sort of like I would I would equate it to being like the first real taste that the public would get of how the comic book Batman actually worked in sort of its portrayals at the time and even even uh it even has elements of some of the 1930s comic books in that uh it was darker you know you had a commissioner gordon who very much like pat hingle was kind of i noticed this yesterday pat hingle was pretty much spot on as the first gordon in the comic books like yeah. he, he doesn't really i mean people don't really take him that seriously because he doesn't do much in the films and he doesn't really look per se much like gordon that we know now like like he's yeah. definitely not a as much of a physical match as like Gary Oldman, but yeah, he, you know, you look at those comics, he looks pretty spot on. Even uh, even Keaton kind of looks like the old Bruce Wayne, like the first design that they ever had for him in the comics. So it's it was kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if it was intentional, but it it worked out that way, and that was always kind of something that I liked about it. Yeah, and. Yeah, I was thinking that when I was watching Batman Batman Returns. The Gordon, Jim, the Pat Hingle's Gordon, you know, he wasn't bad in the first two films, but the last two is when it kind of got ridiculous. I yeah, think. yeah. I mean, in the first two, he was definitely, I would say he was more of, you know, a guy that you could tell was trying to get a handle on a city that was slowly becoming crazier. Yeah. Like, like by the time the Joker first appeared, like everything just kind of ramped up to eleven and got them, yeah. and they didn't know how to deal with it. But, um, you know, in nineteen, in the nineteen eighties, you know, you always hear these stories that, you know, Michael Keaton, when he was first cast, you know, nobody really liked the idea because he was mostly known as a comedian. Yeah, yeah Beetlejuice, Mr. Mom, was like his two biggest films. Yeah, uh, prior to Batman. And also because everyone had known that, you know, the 60s series was so popular, people thought Warner Brothers was just going to do, like, an adaptation of that because, you know, yeah. Burton had also done Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, um, that'd be awesome. Pee-wee Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you had a Pee-wee. I'm Batman. That's my name. Don't wear it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's not actually not bad. Um... But yeah, you know, when you look into the mindset of how, of why Michael Keaton was cast as the character, you know, you look at him at, at first glance and he doesn't seem all that right for the part, you know, physically, yeah. because, you know, he's kind of short, he's kind of weird looking. Um, <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure, you know, he wouldn't be thrilled to hear you say that. Oh, no, but... I there's one thing I've, I've seen like people talk about. If you ever watch Michael Keaton, he does eyebrow acting. He does, and like his eyebrows are all over the place whenever he's you know doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but also it's just that look in his eye. Like if you if you look at him, he's always kind of got something sinister going on. Yeah, like it's it's kind of like it's kind of like he has sort of a repressed dark side every time he acts for some reason yeah. like even in even in light stuff like uh jack frost which is a very creepy film in of itself fun fact one time i thought i was like i forgot how what i was when the film came out i was like 12 or 13 around that age 
and I seen it on Cinemax. It was Jack Frost. I was like, oh, the Michael Keaton film. I turned there. It was Jack Frost, the story about the serial killer who had been reincarnated into a snowman <laughs> and proceeded to kill everybody. Um, well, honestly, that film is probably better than the probably Michael so. Keaton one. I wouldn't uh, doubt it. But, you know, Michael Keaton, I would say that even though at first glance he may seem wrong for the part, when you hear Burton talk about the reasoning behind it, it makes actually a lot of sense. Yeah. And for a, for a different version of Batman, it actually is very well thought out. Like, you know, they say that the reason he wears the bat suit is because he isn't very physically intimidating as Bruce Wayne. Like, that's the reason he has to strike fear yeah. into Gotham, uh, yeah. into the criminals, and, you know... That's something the comics really never took account of. You know, it wasn't really addressed, and that was kind of the first time it was like, oh, well, this is why he has to do it. Exactly. You know, to. Well, I thought they would dress for, like, the, you know, the uh, criminals are cowardly and superstitious, like that whole thing. Yeah, but it's like, Bruce, beyond that, like, Bruce never really had a motivation, and, and Burton casting Keaton was kind of like. Well, here's a here's a different, like here's a more of a valid reason why he would want to do this. Yeah, and um, also like Keaton is just Christ, you know. You watch those movies, and it's like he he knocks it out of the park for that version of Batman. Mm -hmm. Like whether or not you like his Batman, he fits that world to a T. Um, one thing I love about his Batman is that he seems to embody something. That you and I talked about uh, in one of the episodes. He, you see three different sides of him throughout the movies. You know, there's Bruce Wayne that the public sees, and then there's one that he's. You only see like when he's with Alfred or when he's with Vicky or someone. And then there's the Batman. Of course, yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because whereas, um, like the Bruce Wayne that people that most people know is like. Sort of a foppish playboy. He kind of he's kind of a womanizer, kind of a you know, kind of a smooth guy. Keaton kind of went in the opposite direction, where Bruce is kind of like an like a fumbling idiot. Like he doesn't yeah, and, he doesn't remember stuff like he should. Like he doesn't really take account into things. Like and, and it's uh, actually a really good portrayal of the yeah. character. One thing too, <clears throat> I noticed in the first Batman, they seem to reply he's kind of maybe reclusive. Because, like, you know, when they're at that benefit and no one knows who Bruce Wayne... You know, Vicky Vale doesn't know what Bruce Wayne looked like and either does Alexander Knox. Either, you know, he's reclusive or they're just very crappy journalists. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of a... When you think about a real-world portrayal of, like, uh, this kind of aloof billionaire yeah. type of person. Like, he's almost, like... I, I would say, like, he's sort of an early Bill Gates type of guy. Yeah. Um, and also, too, like, you know, in Batman Returns, when Penguin's going after prominent citizens of Gotham, like, they don't really ever mention Bruce Wayne. So, I mean, it's like he's rich, he's got money, but he's not out in the public. Like, you know, in comic books now, and especially in, like, the uh, Nolan films, too, Bruce Wayne is like a celebrity. Yeah, he's like the everybody, prince. Yeah, everybody knows him. Yeah, he's like the prince of Gotham. And then this yeah. one, he's more of, like... Well, he's, you know, everybody knows his name, but nobody really can put a face to the name. He's kind of, yeah. and even like 
there's only really one scene in either of the film where he's doing like business and it's never said like what he's doing business yeah. for like Wayne Enterprises is never mentioned. They don't I mean I think that I think the first time you see it is in Batman Forever. Yeah, the actual and, building. Yeah, and it's kind of like it's kind of more implied that he's more of a mover and a shaker in Gotham than sort of this businessman who owns a billion dollar company or something. Yeah, and that's what one thing too is they also don't really say where he got his money from because like they don't really imply like his family was wealthy, his parents are wealthy, you know. Yeah, all we really see of them is that one flashback, and yeah, that's that's really one of the strengths I think of the Burton Batman films, and that you know. Sure, you can mistake this for something lacking, but I think it's more of a case of it just being subtle in that, you know, his parents being dead and that being the motivation for him being Batman is played up more like a mystery. Like, Vicky Vale, you know, follows him and tries to unravel, like, what went wrong in his past and, like, why, yeah. why he keeps lying to her and all that. And it's more of, like, you gradually discover who he is rather than everything being kind of laid out on the table, which I really yeah. enjoyed, because it's like, it adds to the mystique of him as Batman. And, uh, also, when you look at Keaton, like, in the suit and everything, he has this quality about him. Like, honestly, he, when you do a close-up of him, he kind of looks terrifying in the costume. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, especially, like, he, so I think maybe a lot of it is in that movie, The Lightning plays a lot of it into it you know because you never really see him good in a lot of shots yeah and also he's always like, shrouded in some sort of shadow or something and also one of the great things about the lighting in that movie is that it was well i mean it was i think it won an oscar for it actually um it played on a lot of like comic book type of silhouette shots like whenever batman would turn towards camera like say in the back cave with vicky vale his eyes would be lit up, but the rest of his body would be in shadow. Yeah. Like, it would it would do a lot of clever stuff like that. And also in Batman Returns, it would... Uh, the light actually goes up off of Selena Kyle's glasses and it makes kind of a cat shape. Which, um, I was listening to the commentary and Burton said that was kind of an accident. But it was <laughs> it worked out for the best. Everybody just thought I was a genius, so I went with it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, talking about the film, it's like... This was the first I had ever seen a Batman. You know, that moment when he he's above those two thugs and he spreads his yeah. cape. That was the first time I had ever seen the character. Same here. And that, that scene has always stuck with me. You know, the two guys were just talking about Batman, the urban myth and stuff. You know, all the while you can see him come from, you know, the scene from the shadows behind him. That shot right there, just that shot of the wingspan, like, in the far like back behind them that yeah. was probably that's probably one of my favorite images to this day of the entire character yeah. like out of them out of all the mythos it's just like it's so foreboding and yet it's just so awesome at the same yeah. time um and then there was also the uh the parallels to the beginning with the the family that they robbed you know uh you know the husband and wife and their only son so yeah, that's it's funny that you mentioned that because when I was a kid, I for some reason I always thought that was Bruce Wayne. Me too. Like, me too. Yep. Which which didn't really make sense in context because then you like whenever they <laughs> scream, you you look up and you see Batman. Maybe um, the bat. Maybe that Batman was a metaphorical Batman. He was coming 
you know, his shadow loomed over the, that scene. Yeah. So one day foreshadowed what Bruce would become. Or it, maybe we were just retarded. Know, two years old, so. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, um, I don't know, it, it's like, for all that people complain, you know, it's not too terribly faithful to the comics, and, you know, it's not, the plot has, you know, massive leaps in logic and all that. It's like, for all it did wrong, it also did a lot right, I would say. Oh, yeah. Um, and I would say probably one of the best things they got right was uh, the decision to put Jack Nicholson in as Joker. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I'm, that guy, he was probably, like, in the time of the 80s, he was probably, like, the only choice for that yeah, role. Yeah, that's what, that's what they said. I was watching a making of it. They were talking about while there was all this back and forth about uh, who would be Bruce and Batman. You know, there was only one person on their list for Joker. Yeah, and, you know, you look at his films before that, and you can see why, you know, what yeah. flew over the cuckoo's nest. The Shining. Uh, yeah, definitely The Shining, because I think there was actually, if I recall correctly, that was actually what got him, what got the studio's interest, because one of the producers had gotten a still of him from The Shining and did, mm -hmm. like, a little Joker uh, makeup, like, scribbling over his face. Oh, cool. And, yeah, I think that, that role is definitely what got him uh, the Joker. Because, you know, going off of the Joker, it was kind of like, you know, there was Cesar Romero and then there was the comic books. That was pretty much all that you yeah. had to fall off of. Because, you know, the cartoons had kind of played him as kind of a hokey trickster kind of guy. And there wasn't really any influence of him in the, se in the uh, serials. Yeah. Which, uh -uh. But it's kind of weird when you think about it because it's like he's one of the easiest people to do in that kind of setting. Which, yeah, just put some makeup on them. Yeah, and not only that, but it's like the character is inspired by like a silent film character. Yeah. Um, uh, and <clears throat> I think you were like me in that one of your first memories about Batman 89 was Jack Nicholson as Joker scaring the crap out of you. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, because I've never been afraid of clowns, necessarily. Oh, no, I hate clowns, and I think that's why I hate clowns, because of for, because of the Joker. Um, I mean, I was never like that, but for some reason, that look, whenever he, you know, steps out of the shadows for the first time in the full makeup, like, it's just so creepy looking. Like, and also, like, that whole prosthetic smile that they give him. Yeah. Which, which I always liked about that version of the character, in that he was, he was permanently smiling, but at the same time, it was like, he gave into it. Like, he got the scar first, and then he kind of gave into the madness. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's what me and my brother were talking about. We watched, you know, that part with the German plastic surgeon. Like, what exactly was he doing to his face, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess he just tried to clean the wound as much as, up yeah, as he could. He but it's like, it Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much just, there was only one way to go with that, and I think the nerves yeah. were kind of... They kinda, were completely severed. Yeah, pretty much. You see what I have to work with. Yeah. Um, now, as scary as it was, you know, when he first stepped in the shadows, that scene scared me even more just because of the fact you couldn't see his face, but you could hear that maniacal laugh, you know, when he's walking away. He nailed that laugh. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, like, you know, in the wake of, like, Heath Ledger and Mark Hamill, it's kind of easy to forget how good Nicholson was in the role. Yeah. And also... 
people kind of make the assumption that because Jack Nicholson is playing a crazy super element, he's basically just playing Jack Nicholson. Pretty much, Joker's at Lakers games and stuff. That's what he should have he should have done if he'd survived for Batman Returns. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But um, <laughs> and also like dating insanely hot younger women. Yeah. Um, but you know when you look at the performance itself, it's actually a bit more than that. Like. You know, he's more subdued when he's Jack Napier, and he's kind of vain. Like, he has that whole scene where he's fixing up his tie, and the woman comes up behind him and say that says that he looks fine. Yeah. He turns and he says, you know, I didn't ask. Yeah. Like, the guy's kind of almost like, he's just kind of a smooth player type guy. But, like, you can also, uh, you sense that, you know, when he is Jack Napier, that you know, there's something wrong about him underneath the surface, you know. There's something, and when he becomes a Joker, that's what comes, you know, out. Yeah, yeah, that's it's kind of brought to the extreme, and that's yeah. it's kind of implied throughout the film that Jack Napier kind of had this really screwed up past, and that he had like violent outbursts and violent tendencies yeah. and all that. Like they they did a good job of, you know, for a character who's never had a secret identity or a identity prior to his. Uh, Ascension to being a supervillain, like they actually did a pretty good job of like explaining, like a, a plausible explanation of why he would be this way. Yeah, uh, he was. Yeah, kind of like it. Kind of almost it kind of counters what like Alan Moore's philosophy on the Joker was with the Killing Joke, because that you know this version of the Joker had been a psycho all along. All he needed was you know just a catalyst. Or, yeah. Maybe that maybe that's kind of similar to what Alan Moore was talking about, how everybody is on the brink of being like that. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because like it's faithful but at the same time it's it's kind of its own thing. Like yeah. it's kind of a drastic portrayal. And you know, there is one element that, you know, everybody points out that was kind of you know, probably took it a little too far in that Jack Napier is the one that kills Bruce Wayne's yeah, parents. I know. Um, um I know at the time, I think both of us like this, we thought that was actually how it was in the comics. Oh, that's how I thought it was for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I was about maybe nine or ten before I, I um, discovered who Joe Chill was. Yeah. I remember when I read Mask of the Phantasm, or when I watched it, you know, and they have they show like their version of the Joker's past. Mm-hmm. And like, well, he killed, you know, her Andrea Beaumont's parents, but when did he kill the Waynes? Yeah, and also, like, uh, that scene in Batman Forever where they flash back to his parents' death, like, yeah. I thought that guy in the shadows was a Joker, mm-hmm. like Jack Napier. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, watching that death scene in the first Batman movie, it, I think out of all the scenes that have ever been done of, you know, Joe Chill killing the Waynes or Jack Napier killing the Waynes, like, that one, I think it's the best done because it's just so effective. I think just because of like the mood and the lighting and sort of the the music, but then the lack of music, it kind of yeah. it all comes together in a really good package. Yeah, I think yeah, it's a lot more like theatrical and dramatic than the uh, the scene from Batman Begins. Yeah, that one was more like it was played sort of a real world setting. Yeah, kind of it was quick and you know you can you know it happened real fast. Yeah, which is which is how it would happen, but it's like yeah. it's not it's not. I don't think it would fit in this film. Yeah, nah. Um, but it's like going into it, you know, you kind of see the 
their mentality for why they did it. It just doesn't. It just kind of stretches it out a little bit. Yeah. Like, it, and I, um, I think, I think I'm fine with it for this film. But like over the years, it kind of becomes like a cliche that, you know, all the villains are responsible in some way for the hero's origins. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I, I definitely get what you mean. Like, uh, you know, they've done that with... Well, they did that in Spider-Man 3 with Sam. Yeah, and I remember when they did that, I was like, oh my god, seriously? It's like you're pulling a Nicholson. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of... I'd say maybe a little... Not much, but a little bit of that in the first Spider-Man with you know, Green Goblin and his spider creating... You know, giving Spider-Man his powers. But, I mean, that was... I mean. It wasn't too much of a radical change. Yeah, that was. I think that was a little more subdued than you know. Yeah. Um, Norman Osborn, you know, is responsible for the death of Peter's parents or something. Or like uh, Two Face in Batman Forever, killing the Graysons. Yeah, yeah, that one was a little. Though with that, I kind of, I can kind of forgive that one more because, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, because if you know, I guess Two Face is a little more acceptable than like maybe Tony Zuko. Yeah, and also it's like by that point, why wouldn't a supervillain do it? Because like Batman has been around for so long. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we're gonna, yeah, 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 we're kind of yeah, kind of. But you know, that is kind of one of the big flaws of that movie. And even so, I can kind of buy it even when I'm watching the movie. Like just when I'm watching it under its own terms, like I can kind of. It doesn't really affect me that much, like just because I think it's so well done in the movie that, just in terms of how it's, you know, how it's shot and everything, and how it's acted and how it kind of plays into the plot. Though, you know, you could argue that from a logistics standpoint, it's just kind of distracting. But it doesn't. It's never done that with me. Like, what about you? Nah, um, I think, like I said, I think the reason why I accept so much is because I, it was the first time I'd ever seen it done. Yeah. And so I was more willing to accept it. And plus me being younger, when I watched it, probably had a lot to do with it. Like, if they did that now, like in a movie now, I'd be like, oh my god, this is bullshit. Yeah, I mean, if Christopher Nolan had done that yeah. in his series, I don't think anyone would have liked to see... Like, no one would have wanted to see The Dark Knight Rises. Um, yeah. and and But there is a small implication in Batman Begins that maybe The League of Shadows... Inadvertently caused Bruce's parents to be murdered, you know. Yeah, a little bit, but that's like kind of that's more of like I don't know. That's, that's more like a metaphorical thing. Yeah, I think that's kind of how I always took that. Yeah. But um, get, getting back to the Burton films, like you know, there's so much of the Batman mythos that's probably my favorite in that version. Like their version of events, like some of the stuff that they do is kind of like kind of the all-time, kind of my all-time favorite. Like, certainly the Batmobile. Like, there's no... There's never been an on-screen Batmobile that has been as cool or as... Not only simple, but at the same time it's an intricate design. Like, for the car, and I think it's just... It's wonderful. Like, it's it's mysterious like the character is. It's fast. It's uh, elegant, I would yeah. say. And, thankfully, it doesn't go up walls. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, kind of cool if it did, but... Yeah, Not really. 
Um, well, it turns into a giant missile. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right in the second one. Uh, yeah. That was kind of weird. I guess, like, he has a bat escape pod or something. Yeah, kind of. But it only conveniently turns that way for narrow alleyways. Yeah. <laughs> what a shark. Imagine if he, like, he had an escape pod, but it was, like, like really long. <laughs> or really wide. Yeah. That's what I meant, really wide. Um... But, uh, and one thing, too, you mentioned the Bat Mythos. I think that, uh, they did a pretty good job of, you know, not only bringing the characters from the comic books and stuff, but, uh, peppering in, like, their own characters. That's something, like, a lot of comic book movies do. Yeah. That, you know, they don't, you know, they'll bring in their own characters. And, so, I, and if you think so, about it, so, I think Burton's films kind of started that, where they, they got the idea to kind of bring in their own characters yeah because i think mostly in the superman films except for <laughs> was it superman 4 with richard pryor's character superman uh, 3 yeah superman 3 and then got off a nuclear man but <laughs> those aside yeah. um you know pretty much all the characters you see in the superman films are they're in the comics yeah uh, or have or had been in the comics I don't know about Otis and Miss Taskmaker. That's the only thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, Otis. Or, yeah, those. Yeah, so they were kind of. Yeah, but Superman has such a like a big supporting cast, like Perry White and and all of that. That yeah, it's it's kind of hard to really bring in anyone. And this one, like Bruce Wayne, lives such a isolated existence. Like you don't really get the feeling that he has any friends. Like Alfred is pretty much his one constant. That it's it brings in like room for interpretation as far as uh, as far as like supporting characters go because you know you can't devote the entire film to just one guy and this film actually did a really good job of setting up characters that honestly I feel like should have been integrated into the comics to some degree like yeah like I mean of course the most famous I think is Alexander Knox. Oh yeah, I would love to see, see him pop up in the comics, and I was kind of disappointed that he didn't show up in Batman Returns. Yeah, and also you can kind of see where his role would have been because there's this regret, aggressive reporter guy that uh, actually a friend of mine uh, actually called Fox Knox, which is kind of which is kind of neat. Um, just to, to picture that that guy's like a distant relative of Knox. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. You know, Knox was kind of this abrasive reporter, but he was kind of a bumbling. He was he was a lovable guy, I, yeah. I would think. Like he he had some really good lines. Uh, you know, what a dick. Uh, yeah, ad libbed of course by Robert Wool. Yeah, who did who did a fantastic job as like comic relief in a movie that really almost didn't have room for that. I think he kind of brought it when he was yeah. cast, even though they probably didn't intend for that at first. Yeah. I do think that, like, really, like, I think his character was kind of brought in as, like, a, like, with him and Vicky Vale to kind of give, like, a, like a, maybe, a, I wouldn't say every man, but, like, you know, someone's perspective on Batman, who was not Bruce Wayne or the Joker. Yeah, they had a lot of different narrative threads throughout that movie. Yeah. And so they kind of brought, like, you know, their perspective into Batman, he has, you know, with them investigating it, and you know, of course, the mystery about who exactly Bruce Wayne is that gave them a, a vehicle to do all that in. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point because um, you know Knox spends the entire movie trying to unravel a mystery, and actually, if you read some of the earlier drafts of the script, he actually goes more in depth into it to the point that he actually does figure out Bruce Wayne as Batman. 
Alfred invites him to the Batcave. <laughs> yeah, and they have a tender, you know, heart to heart moment. They just what they did was they just replaced they took all of Knox's dialogue and gave it to Vicky Vale. Yeah, it was actually supposed to be a gay uh, relationship in the movie. Knox, you know, Knox takes pictures of him. Joker falls in love with Knox. <laughs> Joker falls in love. He comes to his apartment. Yeah. Him him and Bruce fight over Knox. <laughs> exactly. I mean, would you blame him? It's 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 Robert Wall. Nah, I don't blame him. But also another good character that came out of it was kind of a character that... I, it's kind of weird to even call him a character because he's kind of just there, but at the same time, there's just something about him that's so endearing and so... Like, he just stands the test of time for some reason, and that's Bob, you know, Bob yeah. the Goon. And I think the only reason he was even put on the film is because in real life, uh, Tracy Walter is his real name. He's friends with Jack Nicholson in real life. Yeah. And I think he's like, hey, you know, I need, you know, can I, can, can you give my buddy a job as, like, you know, being one of the Joker's henchmen? Yeah. And I think since he was tied with Jack Nicholson, he was with him a lot on set and stuff. So, you know, he, I mean, they kind of, he integrated himself into, into that. And I still say to this day, Bob's death scene is one of the most heartbreaking moments in that movie. <laughs> Bob, gun. Uh, any room alone. Gonna need a moment alone, boys. Yeah. It's both hilarious and sad. Yeah. Because you don't want Bob to die. Mm-mm. But in the way, he has to die, because that's that's how he goes out. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of death, uh, something that I noticed, too, with this film is that in Batman and Batman Returns, you know, this version of Batman is a bit more ruthless when yeah, it comes to yeah. fighting and violence. Yeah, he's kind of... He's almost like he's. You can almost see he's kind of Batman with an edge to him. Yeah. Like, like he he doesn't all out go out of his way to murder anybody, but he doesn't really shy away from. Like he doesn't use gun, but he yeah. He doesn't really take any qualms with kind of endangering lives. Like as far as uh, villains go, yeah. like he doesn't. They never show him like intentionally putting someone else in harm's way, but yeah. like uh, the scene in Batman Returns, which is kind of. You know, I was listening to the commentary with Burton, and it, it's kind of, it's meant to be ambiguous whether he survives, but it's like, you, essentially what it is, is he straps a bomb to a henchman, punches him down a subway, and just walks away as he explodes. Yeah. And, you know, in the first Burton film, you also had, you know, the Batmobile going into the very packed uh, factory and then blowing it up. Yeah, um, and then there's another scene where you during the parade, you know, he's he's aiming the Batwing at Joker, and he's got all this, like, ordnance. He's got, like, missiles. He's shooting missiles left and right, scatling guns, firing off. Yeah. Know, and Joker hits him with a, <laughs> one pistol shot. One really elongated pistol shot from his pants. Yeah. Um, and, and then there's another scene where, uh, at the top of the bell tower, you remember this, he's fighting this guy, and he kicks him off the side of, you know, down the stairwell. Yeah, he, he uh, like... The guy looks down like the bell tower, and he grabs him by his legs and just kind of throws him off. Yeah, and so I think I was doing a running count because I want to say in Batman: and Bad Returns he kills at least four people, or inadvertent. <laughs> like I count the, the guy with the bomb, the guy he kicked down the bell tower. Um, then there's the demon. At, you know, the beginning he sets on fire with the Batmobile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, like the fire breather. Yeah. 
Uh, and there was another one. I can't remember who. I think. And then ain't no telling how many people he might kill when he blew up Axis Chemicals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's better left unsaid. Yeah. And uh, then he yeah. almost hanged a guy. Yeah, he almost by shooting, like, I've never really gotten whether he shot the grapple gun and it wrapped around the guy's throat or it went through the guy's cheek. Or, or if, like, my brother said he thought it, it got, like, caught on his collar. Yeah, I mean, it some, something like that. It's like, it was always kind of like, when, when I was a kid, I always thought, like, it shot into his mouth and just kind of pulled him by the lips or something. Yeah, yeah. it'd be even worse. Yeah, but, um... Yeah, I mean, Batman, I don't think he necessarily shied away from killing in these films. He just kind of... He just kind of did what he had to do, which, you know, fair enough. I don't think... You know, as much as Batman does hold a high moral code in the comic books, I think now and again doing a different version doesn't really hurt anyone. Yeah. Like, it doesn't... It certainly doesn't make it any kid-friendly. Well, and the thing, too, is that really... This first Batman, they don't really establish you know, his his one rule about not killing. Yeah, I mean, this this one is clearly meant to be sort of an amalgamation of different elements, and one of the yeah. elements is definitely the 30s, because yeah. you know, everybody in the film, that's another thing I noticed about the film, was that the first Batman movie especially, and then somewhat in the second, everyone is dressed like they're out of the 1940s, and even the architecture is like that, yeah. and there's really only the cars that scream 80s. Yes, modern cars with um, yeah, the old time kind of old time clothes. I don't know, like Vicky Vale was kind of like she was wearing like eighties fashions and stuff. And... Uh, a, a little bit, yeah. But yeah. Uh, the men, you know, they dress in fedoras and yeah. you know forties suits, and you know Carl Grissom had that kind of yeah. Well, Jack Palance can wear whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, that's true. Um, even, even Tim Burton can't tell yeah. him not what to do because uh, that's one of the stories actually was that. Burton tried to direct Palance in a scene, and Palance kind of got pissy with him and said, "You know, I, I've been on, you know, hundreds of films. How many have you done?" And you know, it was kind of a screwed up little moment, but it kind of just shows like he was kind of the perfect mob boss for Gotham City. Yeah. Um. But something else too. We were talking about regional characters, but in Batman Returns, uh, there's a regional character. It's one of the antagonists. One of the three antagonists for the films. Yeah. And played very beautifully by uh, Christopher Walken. And he's sort of like a... Kind of like an evil counterpart to Bruce Wayne. He's like a... He's kind of like an amoral industrialist. Max Shrek. Yeah, and you know, when I was watching Batman Returns, I noticed something that I had never noticed before about him. And that if you took his character line for line... He's kind of Lex Luthor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that makes sense. Like his scheme is very like Luthor-esque. Yeah, and also like the way he kind of deals with uh, Selina by pushing her out of the window. Yeah, and, and just I, and just not like making a move from there, kind of like assessing it from the background when she, you know, shows back up. Yeah, and then maybe his, you know, the way he manipulates Cobblepot. Yeah, and everything he kind of plays everything cool. Like it's it's kind of a it's kind of a cross between, you know, Gene Hackman if he were played serious. Like, like Gene Hackman if he were played by Clancy Brown, hmm. I would say. Yeah, I, I think I can kind of... With with a walking accent. Yeah, with a walking accent. Um, but, um, speaking of, like, Batman Returns, uh, they 
actually, you know, I mentioned Batman is one of my first memories of watching, you know, TV, uh, or being scared of Joker's one of my first memories about Batman. My second earliest memory about Batman is going to see Batman Returns in the movie theaters and hiding behind the seats at the side of Danny DeVito. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't he wasn't the most pleasant thing to look at, I'll say that much. Um though if you look at him now, he doesn't he actually kinda when you first see him, he actually kinda feels out of place because it's like he does he's in such an environment that he feels natural. Like he doesn't feel like he's a weirdo or something. He it's only when he's like put in Gotham that you see the real big contrast between him and normal people. Um but the first scene is like he's played very straight, I would say. And you know, he's trying to blackmail Shrek into his own scheme and in a way he kind of he kind of like lets loose in that scene, I would say. And that's kind of that's kind of one of the cool aspects of his version of the penguin in that you know, there is kind of a playful side to him, like definitely with Catwoman, like he's he's more of a you know, he's making all kinds of like sexual innuendo and all that, but he's also got a really vicious animal side. Like when he bites the guy's nose. Yeah. And I think that like they kinda of took like the idea of Penguin as a character was like, you know, this he's this guy who is like a common criminal common thug who tries to hide behind, you know, monocle top hat and a phony accent. Yeah, and umbrellas. And I, yeah, and the umbrellas and <clears throat> I think they kind of took that to maybe the you know I wouldn't say he's kind of like that in a lot of ways well maybe like at the beginning of the movie he's not really you know he embraces being the sewer monster and then he you know once Shrek gets him topside and starts to fill his head with delusions of grandeur you know he starts to think he's the gentleman yeah it's it's kind of interesting because you know you go back and look at the comic books before 1992 the penguin as a character was always kind of an aristocratic kind of almost like a snobbish supervillain yeah. who only whose only real means was kind of to steal jewels and stuff using trick umbrellas and yeah. you know there wasn't you know as good of a villain as he was there wasn't really a character to him he was yeah. more of a you know he was more of a villain of the week type of guy whereas um, you know people like the Joker had sort of gotten their own like through Alan Moore had gotten their own kind of you know backstory and motivations and clear you know ideologies and stuff um and one thing too is penguin comics was i mean he's just like a short guy who's kind of chubby and he's got a long nose you know there's not really any kind of you know, mutant flipper stuff with him yeah yeah really i mean it's it's kind of like this version i would say you know how paul dini uh, reinvented Mr. Freeze from the ground up in the Batman the Animated Series. That's yeah. just kind of, this is kind of the precursor to that. In that, there wasn't much to work from with the Penguin, and Burton kind of took his own thing and decided to try and give him his own backstory and his own like motivation, his own character. And uh, he gave him his backstory, and he Burtonesed it up, Burtoned it up, I guess you'd say. Yeah, with the, the flippers and the you know the the messed upness that is comes with. A lot of Tim Burton stuff. Yeah, the one thing I never got about that character, and, you know, by and large, I actually love that version of the Penguin, because I like the, I like the tragicness of it. Like, he's almost the opposite of Batman, and that his parents rejected him. And, you know, he was kind of... Yeah, exactly. Left, and he was kind of left bitter at the world. Like, certainly, he he's not uh, sympathetic in that he's, 
he's a really sick guy, and he he even like his big plan is actually to kill children. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, he is you can kind of see where he's coming from because like he was cast out of society, left to you know be raised by penguins in a sewer and you know run in a, a circus and all of that, and you can kind of see why he would become a villain. But the one thing I never understood, and I think you'll agree with me. What was with the black stuff? Kind of like the ooze around his mouth and things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, I get the flipper and all that. Like he's he he has a birth defect and all yeah. that. But maybe that's what the birth feeds. Maybe he his bits black. I don't know. Like like even when Burton talks about it, like it's he only refers to it as, as the black stuff. Like he doesn't have a name for what it was supposed to be or why it was supposed to be. It was kind of it just, just. It's like, it looked cool. I love the color black. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and then at the end when he's dying, you know, it's kind of portrayed as his blood, which is yeah, kind of, I, I guess, I mean, I guess that's what it's supposed to be. Like, he says he's cold-blooded and all that, and he's supposed to be a mutant and all that, but, you know, if if that's the case, like, is does that technically mean he's bleeding out the mouth all the time? Like, what is, what is up with it? I, I don't, I don't really get it. Maybe he does. He doesn't brush properly, so he's got bleeding gums. I mean, it is hard to find a toothbrush in the sewers. According to that one guy, you know, there's not a lot of reflective services down in the sewer, so it must be hard to brush your teeth properly. Yeah, well, I mean, his teeth are strong enough to break that guy's nose, at least. Yeah. Well, they, and they got hit coming on it. I must say. I mean, look, you you can be a freak of nature, but you know, could be worse. His nose could be gushing blood. <laughs> Uh, gushing blood. What does that mean? Ah, uh, no! Ah! Oh, God. That, I mean, Dan DeVito gave a really, a really good performance in that. I mean, he really did, like, play that up to the best of his ability, I thought. Like, sure, he went over the top in a little places, but sometimes that's really fun about supervillains. Yeah, exactly. That's what people shy away from now in comic book movies, and that they don't think villains should be over the top. They should all be serious, and that's... That's not fun like the Penguin is. That's not fun like Jack Nicholson was, or even to some degree Heath Ledger. Like, that's, I think, what really worked about his portrayal on that. He had those moments still, even though he was more a straight-up psychopath. Yeah, his was a little more subdued, but yeah, he had a few grandiose moments. Uh, I think they were, they were a little more low-key compared to, like, some of Jack Nicholson's over-the-top moments. Yeah, I mean, Jack Nicholson, and this is another thing that kind of bothered me about the Nolan Joker, and that Nolan Joker never had the toys. Like, he never had the yeah. the joy buzzer and the all the, like, the squirting acid flower and, yeah. and you know, the prop gun that had yeah. that's what That's what uh, I was thinking when, you know, like, one of the Joker's plots is to poison the city with, you know, the, the cosmetics and stuff. That is something that you would see in the comic books. Yeah, and not that it's like, it's Joker screwing with people for the sake of yeah, and being funny. Like it, being no, funny, and there's no end game there, and it doesn't yeah. have to be. Like, and he's just, just he's just getting off on people's fear. Yeah, he's insane. Like yeah. that's that's the thing that I kind of never bought with Ledger's Joker, and that yeah. yeah, he's insane, but it's like he's not randomized. He's not. Yeah, he, has, and, he claims to be, but he has a very clear end goal in mind. Yeah, and he has a very meticulous plan, and pretty much all his plan just involves blowing stuff up, which is can be kind of boring after a while. Yeah, I mean, 
I love Ledger's Joker, but it's like Jack Nicholson's Joker was kind of more what the Joker yeah. is. I would exactly. think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if it weren't for the whole Jack Napier, you know, backstory thing, he would probably be the most faithful yeah. version of the Joker ever done. Yeah. Because like, in terms of personality, he's just out to cause chaos. He's out to, you know, just kind of really fuck with people, and that's kind of what sets him and Batman on opposite sides because Batman tries to stop him and he's like oh well you know he's just ruining my fun so I'm gonna go after him and also he did this to me which is kind um, of which is kind of like it's kind of a secondary thing Batman Batman 89 is responsible for teaching me what an en- enema is <laughs> cause that town needs it yeah cause I thought, what's an enema like, they squirt water up your butt I was like ah okay so He's going to do that to the whole town. I know he's talking symbolically. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> no, he's going to do that to everybody in town. <laughs> this is this. That's my that's my that's my dastardly plot to get the rest the entire Gotham city uh, citizens have them become regular. Yeah, I mean that's that's what the cosmetics actually led to was uh, diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, death and diarrhea. Yeah, grinning death and diarrhea. Uh, <laughs> grinning diarrhea. But, I don't know, like, when you, you look back at it, it's like the Joker was sort of the manic craziness, and then the Penguin was more of, I would say, he was crazy too, but it was more of like, he was an animalistic crazy. Like, he was more bitter at the world. He He's just kind of a nasty person. Yeah. One thing, too, is that I think maybe... It's not, uh, you know, they established, it's one thing I wish they would have got into more in Batman Returns is that, you know, they show Batman when he's looking into Penguin's backstory, like, his big plan to kidnap all the kids in Gotham, it's not something, I mean, it wasn't something new to him, you know, because, like, remember they say that, like, the Red Triangle Circus, where it was called, were kidnapping kids before, uh, yeah. all this started. Yeah. And you, I guess you assume that, you know, they were killing children on top of that, you know. Yeah, um, I don't remember like what exactly it was, like the Red Triangle thing. Actually, whenever I watch the movie, whenever I watch Batman Returns, that's actually a scene that kind of gives me goosebumps, just the way that he describes the story and the music yeah. with it. It's like, it's kind of it's kind of creepy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like, maybe, you know, it, his big plan, you know, to kill all the kids, it, I agree with what you said, it kind of takes like his sympathy. Like any kind of like, you know, sympathy you felt for this guy goes right out the window when he decides to commit infant side. Yeah, which is kind of it's kind of a shame too, because like the first time that he shows up uh, on the surface and he's no, you know, he's doing that press conference where he says, you know, all I want to do is find my mom and dad. It's like even Bruce Wayne is like, it's like sympathetic towards that. Yeah, he's and like, yeah, then, I hope he finds then, them, is what he says. Yeah, and then the very next scene, he's looking into Cobblepot, and he finds that out, and it's like, oh, well, there so we go. for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, one thing that, too, you mentioned the uh, the music, and uh, something to me, as awesome as the music was in Batman, yeah. I think I, I enjoyed the music just a little bit more. And Batman Returns, just some of the like, uh, like the music that's <laughs> like the Penguin's theme and like Catwoman's theme. They're just very kind of surreal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I to be honest, I prefer the 
Kaufman thing, but it's just, yeah, it's kind of like it's just so iconic that you kind of have to. Yeah, Whereas, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate, yeah, I love the Elfman theme, um, and the uh, the opening theme to Batman Returns is, I mean, it's not that much different from the one from yeah, it's, first Batman. It's kind of like it's. It bl- what I liked about it in Batman Returns is that it kind of blended in, like it wasn't, it wasn't its own thing. It kind of fit into the larger score, which I always kind of appreciated. And I, I kind of see what you mean as far as Batman Returns' score goes, because like it has a very, where's the, like the one in the first Batman movie was like it was big and loud and operatic. Mm-hmm. This one is kind of more subtle and it's a bit almost like unsettling in parts yeah. and it's um, also like like dreamlike I would say yeah. like that music that's playing when a Catwoman's going through strict department store and the music that's playing when Batman and Penguin like had their first confrontation where they're you know trading quips and stuff um, or not quips but you know th- vague threats of each other the music in both those scenes are just top notch yeah, and also it's like it kind of fits the tone because it's like the movie's based in Christmas, and it yeah. has like those little uh, silver bell stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I mean both films have incredible scores. Like, I love the the Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard thing for the Nolan films, but mm-hmm. it's not gonna compare. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't think like it's kind of like the the John Williams theme in that, you know, you think of Batman, there's kind of if you don't think of the '60s theme, you think of that. Yeah, it's either that or na 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 na. I mean, yeah, those are iconic. I mean, they're called iconic for a reason. Yeah, and I've like even when I was a kid, I would I would recognize the music, which is something kind of weird to admit because like music really isn't that. Like when you're a kid, you don't really notice that typically, but with that film and Batman Returns, like. Yeah. I would I would even like rewind the scene at the end where it has that big score like at the end of the first Batman movie mm-hmm. where it's like panning up like the buildings and all that. Yeah. Cuz I always loved that. But that was the Batman music. Yeah, it was it was. And also I always liked uh, seeing the trailers for all the other films cuz it had the score integrated. Kind of weird to see it in front of Batman and Robin, but you know. But yeah, it's like hey, rumor was so awesome about the first two films, well, this film's not going to be anything like that, but to make you think it is, here's this awesome music. Yeah, that pretty much. And Arnold talking over it. <laughs> I leave his you, need, you need to chill. <laughs> yeah. But we're not talking about those films, but uh, thankfully. We'll we'll be talking about them soon enough. Yes. They'll until, get their day. Yeah, they'll get their day. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, because... You know, talking about the score and everything, it's like there are a couple things from that version of Batman that I would say I liked that I associate with the character more than like even some of the comic book stuff. Like, uh, you know, the Batmobile. I always love the Batmobile, like I said. But I also love the visual of the black, like the completely black suit with the yellow highlights. Oh, yeah. Um,. That's one thing, like, I've seen a lot of Bat fans complain, is the, uh, there, it seems like if you're a Batman fan, uh, there's two ways, it's like, right down the middle, you're either for the yellow oval, or you're against it. And to me, when I was a kid, that was the Batman logo, like, there was no, 
I, I didn't. I never like discovered the comics where he's wearing like the bat decal thing over his yeah. chest until later on. But like you would see that logo all over the products. Uh, you would see it like on T-shirts. It was in the animated series. Like to me, that just is the Batman logo. Um, I think that from a practical standpoint, I prefer like the 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 black logo. I like to me my favorite like Batman is like black the bat all black bat logo with like the gray uh, shirt pants uh, black cape yeah. sort of like how he looks in um, the New Adventures the Batman anime series yeah and also kind of like he pretty much had that look from uh, like the early two thousands up until like yeah well pretty much up until the New Fifty Two yeah um but. Yeah, like, as far as, like, you know, just classic and throwback, nothing beats the gray outfit with the blue cape and cow and the yellow over. Nothing beats that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much, like, classic. I mean, you know, Batman's kind of a character that has had so many different looks in the comics. Like, you know, Spider-Man has one look, you know, one definable look. He's changed it up, but it's like it's never stayed. Like, it's never stuck. Yeah. Um... And then Superman, you know, he's he's got the one look and Wonder Woman and all these characters. But Batman, it's like he has so many different looks. It's you know, every fan kind of has a different uh, favorite. And for me, the, one of the favorite, definitely the top three at least, is uh, the the black on yellow look that the yep. both the Burton films had because like that was just not only from a visual standpoint does it look just so awesome but I also think it's the best in terms of practicality and that you know it's all black so all he has to do is put his cape over the yellow parts and it's like he's yeah. completely concealed um and speaking of bad suits which which one of the two which one would you say was your favorite uh you know it's I've kind of gone, gone back and forth on it over the years like I like I like the idea of the Burton uh, the Batman Returns suit, like the more, like he described it in the commentary as like automotive design to mm-hmm. it. Like I, I like that. Like I like, I mean, it is at the end of the day, it is meant to be an armor, and I like the idea of that look. But at the same time, like I love the the more organic, like muscly armor, just a little better because it's like it kind of it kind of could be any bat suit. Well, yeah. uh you like that, but as long as it stops there, you don't want it to get too anatomically correct. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. You, you never want to do something like uh, I don't know, like molded rubber yeah, passes, molded or nipples and coffee. Yeah. Just, just some random example. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I can never imagine someone doing that. No, uh, but it's, in terms of like the suits themselves, like the Batman Returns of Batman suit, I like. I like the way the mask on the first uh, bat suit looked on Keaton, mm-hmm. but I think it's a little too bulky on anyone else. Like, like I don't think it really works unless it's Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. And I can I can see it being bulky. I kind of thought that like uh, when I was now, watching Batman, like some of the close-ups on his face. Yeah. Now the thing is, is that he does look scarier in the first suit. I think at least because. You know, that is what he's trying to do, and he, he does look like, you know, he's... For some reason, the way it just hangs off his face, it makes him look like kind of a psychopath. Yeah. And I, I like... I always like that idea, but... And I like the ears on the cowl, too, but I think my... Per, the perfect bat 
Batman cowl and the films has been uh, probably the Returns one, just because it's it's sleek and it's sculpted and it's it's not too bulky or anything. It's just kind of right and you know perfect ear length and all that. Uh, but uh, but there's one ba- uh, major downside: he can't turn his head when he backs out of the driveway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's that's something they wouldn't fix for another. Yeah. God, twenty years. Um, no, nah, not twenty years, but about fifteen, sixteen years. Um. Yeah, and um, with like with the other elements, like the cape. I don't really like the cape on the returns one. I think it looks kind of cheap compared to the other one because the other one kind of had like that rubbery, not rubbery but leathery look, mm-hmm. like the bat skin type thing. Because yeah, like actual just, bat wings. Yeah, and I also like the wingspan on that on the first one a little better. Uh, what I never got was on the first suit was why he has that logo with like the bat tail thing. Yeah, it looks like like the bats dropping like a little turd or something. <laughs> yeah. That's what I got. I think like I like the second logo a lot better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What What about you? Like, what's out of the two? What would you say is your favorite? Hmm. I, there's things I like, things I don't. I think. I'm in the opposite approach with you. I like the Batman suit just because the fact that it doesn't look like, you know, the the abdomen part doesn't it looks more like real armor instead of like sculpted muscles, you know. Oh, you you mean uh, the Batman returns. Yeah, yeah, the Batman. Uh well, the, it's the Batman that's doesn't that doesn't have the from 89. This the one that doesn't have the six-pack, right? No, the one from 89 does. Okay. Okay, um, well, yeah, the Batman Returns, I like that with the... Yeah, it looks like actual armor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, uh, like, like uh, the boots and the gloves and the, those, like, the belt, those pretty much stay the same between the two, but... Yeah. It's um, a little differences that make the difference. Uh, and probably, I agree with you, meant about the cape. Yeah. The Batman one is a little bit better, and, uh... But, yeah, like, overall, it's like, I guess, aesthetically speaking uh probably the return suit just a little more um but uh speaking actually speaking of uh skin tight leather and molded asses uh we can't talk about batman returns without getting into no no we one can't. of the big features big things of batman and, returns. and you know in my opinion probably the absolute best thing like yeah. i i honestly think that performance is Oscar worthy, like that. If you look at the way that she just, like the way she performs some of the scenes, like the way her face looks, or like the emotion she is, or like the even the delivery, like as as the other character, like it's just it's just so like way beyond anything you would ever seen in those films. Yeah, and, and, and then anything you would ever see until like the until maybe even Heath Ledger like that's just how good it was yeah and one thing I do find interesting about like Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is that like up until that point like there had never like I mean I know there weren't many superhero films you yeah. know beforehand. like the idea of like a super villain uh, a bad guy slash love interest yeah for the hero, you know, someone to fight and someone to kiss at the same time. Yeah, and, you know. and it's like, you know, you had all the cat ones from the TV series, and you even had like the one cat one from the first Batman movie. But she was like, 
You never really got the sense that as Batman and Catwoman, they had an attraction. It was more she like... was just always out to just, you know, rob and try to kill him. Yeah, and this one was like, holy crap, like it was electric, almost. Like, just the way she would switch between kind of like a psychopathic, uh, like vengeful vigilante type chick who just kind of did what she wanted to this really sultry, uh, deadly, but at the same time really seductive person. It was like, oh, it was such a great performance, honestly. There's one thing, too. Um, I know we keep comparing bad guys to Joker, but I think there's a slight comparison in that. Like Before, like you see her just as you know, dopey Selena Kyle. Yeah. Um, but like there's one scene in particular um, where you kind of get a taste of the dark side when um, that guy who tried to hold her hostage and you remember Batman knocked him out yeah she, yeah she yeah. takes his taser and while he's unconscious you know she she tasers him and she yeah. gets like a real big kick out of it and I think that's <laughs> sort of something like you know she's not necessarily like you know she's what she becomes as Catwoman is maybe who she is or who she wants to be yeah I would think like I think before Shrek tossed her out the window and she kind of went all insane like there's that beautifully done scene where she goes crazy in that apartment and just kind of wrecks everything and kind of just yeah. you can you can tell it's like she's just mentally just snapping yeah and before that it was like she was she was like shy and stuff but at the same time you can tell something was under there like something yeah there was a person waiting to get out and cat almost kind of like yeah that person realized and kind of taken to the extreme almost yeah, sort of like, um, whereas, you know, the Joker needed, uh, the Vatican chemicals to kind of make Jack Napier into the true monster that he is. It's sort of, you know, apparently all it took for Selena Kyle was to fall out of 16 stories and be breathed on by a bunch of cats or whatever it is that they end up doing. And that, that's something I always never really got. Are they like biting her, licking her, I mean... Yeah, you, was, you know she gets done and she smells like cat piss. You know she smells like cat piss yeah. after she gets up. Yeah, though, honestly, like, I hate to... I really hate to say it because she's not... I don't think she's meant to be this at the end of the day, but she is, like, the sexiest female lead, I think, in most of superhero movies. Like, hold... Like, uh, just the way she delivers some of the lines on the look she gives is, like... Yeah, I think just because, like... Really, for the most part, you know, now with Dark Knight Rise, we get Anne Hathaway, another cat one, but really up until that point and up until, uh, since that point, they're like, well, maybe the closest that there's been to someone like that has been like Mystique from the X-Men. And yeah. uh, Elektra and Daredevil tried to be it and didn't come off quite as yeah, convincing. That, that, that film, that character kind of got written into a corner, I yeah. think. But, but like, for the most part, most female love interests and leads are normal the the normal women who ground the hero who you know at the end of the day they're there for them and they save them you know when they're kidnapped yeah and it's like you you had with the batman film specifically you only have like chase meridian vicky vale and uh rachel dawes yeah they're all damsels in distress yeah and um it's only now where we're getting back to the uh, yeah. Catwoman, which Anne Hathaway, I will say, she looks fantastic in the role, but you know, for me, Catwoman was always one of two people. And Adrian Barbeau from the 
uh, from the animated series, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Like, what? not not Eartha Kitt, not South Carolina's own Eartha Kitt. <laughs> I'm sorry, bird, but no. Uh, damn you! Well, not not for me. I mean, whoever. You. Your hair raisingly awful decisions, girl. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised you're you're in favor of a of, of a black person <laughs> for once. Well, uh, location trumps all. Yeah, location. If if she's from South Carolina, it's cool. Yeah, and I, I will say, I mean, I don't mean to give a slight to any of the '60s series because Julie Newmar was great, Eartha Kitt was great, uh, Lee Merriweather, she was pretty good in the movie. Like, it's just for some reason, like Michelle Pfeiffer just seemed like not so much like Selena Kyle because like none of the Catwomen have ever kind of been thieves or anything. They've been more like either a supervillainess or with this one with Batman Returns as Catwoman, it was more like she was out to get vengeance and. You know, you were a fool to try and stop her. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what, yeah, she's the a nice mix of, you know, she's the true definition of walk of the line. Yeah, and I always also like the costume, though the stitching was a little much, like the white stitching on the black, but I got why they yeah. did it, because it was like, it was meant to evoke, like, you know, her mind was fractured and it was only coming apart at the seams. Yeah. Um, one thing that I always, I never got, like, especially when I rewatched it, but, like, she never really instates, she never really states her pure, her, like, intentions for killing Batman. Yeah. She wants it, to kill Batman, and, I mean, they never really say why. Well, she, it more to me, like, kind of came across as she just kind of wanted him out of the way so she could carry on with the revenge against Shrek. Like, it, it was never, like, you even have, like, that scene where she says, you know, you were only going to scare the Ice Princess. Yeah, like she she never came across like she was a cold blooded murderer. Yeah, that's, unless, that's true. Unless you know it came to Shrek, which yeah. you can understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's one thing that was cool was her uh, pursuit of Shrek because there's this great scene between her and Keaton where you know, they through you know like, accidental means they both figure out each other's identity like, in the middle of this crowded room with people dancing yeah. at a at a masquerade ball. And also, like, like she's going kind of crazy during it, and he's trying to talk her down. Like, it's yeah. just the performances in that movie. I would have to say, as good as Batman, the first movie was, the performances in that movie, aside from Nicholson and Keaton, kind of and Go, I would say, like Michael Go and Robert Wool. I would say that yeah. there were kind of a couple of hokey performances in that movie. But yeah, this like, one, it uh, was like it was kind of uh, strong throughout. I would say. Yeah. Um. Pretty much, I, I can't really think of, like, maybe the only weak link would maybe be walking just by default, because that's how he talks, you know, that's that's his acting style, kind of. Yeah, but at the same time, I thought he made, like, a good business. Yeah. I, I yeah, really fit good, the but, character, it's just he yeah. was kind of playing himself. Yeah, that's, well, that's what I was saying, that's what I was trying to say, because pretty much Christopher Walken... Is Christopher he, Walken? He's kind of like he's he's like that. Like there's certain actors like that. It's like Christopher Walken, um, most Jack Nicholson after the '90s, and um, like Samuel Jackson. It just seems like they're the same character. Yeah. In everything. Yeah, and there's there's like a couple exceptions, but they're very few and far between. Yeah, that's what that's why I said like '90s Jack Nicholson. I feel like after after the Joker, you know, he kind of 
And still, his Joker was very, you know, he had a lot of Jack Nicholson mannerisms. Yeah, he did. But at the same time, I think it's falsely assumed that, you know, he's just playing himself as a Joker. I think that's a complete yeah. lie. I think, especially that scene where he, you were talking about this yesterday, was uh, that scene where he kills that guy with a joy buzzer and then talks to his corpse. I thought that was, like, the best moment as his Joker. What? Gruesome now? You are a vicious bastard, Ritelli. I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> I mean, holy crap. That that scene, like, to me, it's just pure Joker. Yeah, I know. Um, like, that was the moment you knew this wasn't Cesar Romero. Yeah. Uh, pretty much. Uh, but I think we've talked about both movies, what we liked about it, at Ad Nauseam. Um, what about stuff we didn't like? Because... While they're both great films, we admit they're great films, but we're both huge Batman fans, but we're rational Batman fans. Yeah, I mean, I don't let it blind me. Like, I will say, for the record, I still stand by the idea that Batman is my favorite movie of all time, but that's mostly out of a nostalgic quality. Like, as far as quality in terms of filmmaking is, it's it's got its flaws, I, I will admit. And even, like... When I was watching Batman Returns in preparation for this, I noticed that, wow, this is a really good movie compared to the other one. And though I still just hang on to the idea that I still love the first one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can. I mean, from I think that like you can say that like there's some films that that you can enjoy more, not necessarily so much because of quality. Just they hit you at the right time. They hit you at the right age. Yeah. Or the right place in the yeah, movie. They're always going to stick you with you. That's the point. Is that you're just. Yeah, you acknowledge its flaws, but at the same time, you can't let go of your love of it. And yeah. I I wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest. But, yeah, flaws. Um, oh, where would we begin? Uh, I would say that I have two, two of my biggest complaints about both films. They're two, to me, two major plot holes. Okay. And both films, or one major plot point for both films, like towards the end of the film's climax. Okay. And you know me, I'm very when it comes to certain things. Um, like I like, like especially because you know I'm a big James Gordon, Jim Gordon fan. Yeah. And I always like the idea of him and operating this Batman universe, having to respond to the threats that you know Batman takes on, but. Like at the at the end, like as Joker is having his big parade where he's giving out millions of dollars, and when Penguin's circus gang around up children, yeah, to kidnap, there is no police officer to be seen. You know, in that in neither one of those scenes, like in the scene with the parade, the the police don't show up until after Batman's wrecked the Batwing in the middle of this town that's like supposed to be the size of New York. You know, I've never noticed that. That's actually a pretty good point. Like, especially when Penguin announces that he's kidnapping children at a big masquerade yes. ball. I know. It's like, these villains were anything but subtle, I will no say. One like, thinks, no one thinks to dial 911. Yeah, but uh, but to be honest, like, the police show up when the Red Triangle Circus gang attack, and the first thing that Gordon does when he arrives on the scene is, what are you waiting for, the signal? Yeah, <laughs> I know, I mean... I mean, he was kind of like the 60s series Gordon, where, like, yeah. where you know, he would look at the camera and you feel like if he had to say it, he would say, we have to solve this ourselves, like, in a really somber yeah. tone. Um, and one thing, too, is the parade, you know, Joker's parade where he's giving out money. 
you know, first off, everybody knows that there's going to be a parade. He went on live TV. And said that there's going to be a parade. He even pushed the mayor out of the frame to announce it. I think, if I remember correctly, I think Gordon was actually at that press conference. Yes, and and you know, and also, it's not a big secret that Jack Napier is Joker. I mean, no, ev- not, everybody should know. And not right? only that, but he threatened Gotham with a poison yes. scheme that and, killed that was known to kill at least like three people. And prior to becoming the Joker, he murdered Lieutenant Eckhart right in front of the police commissioner. Yeah. Why yes. do you not have the police show up at that parade to arrest him? Uh, I guess they were stuck in traffic or something. That's the only thing. They I were really... at home washing their tights. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I oh, I never noticed that. Wow. Yeah, that is a pretty big plot hole. I have to admit. Um. Yeah, logistic standpoints. I'm trying to think of something that I didn't really like. Um. Well, I mean, of course, we mentioned the, you know, Jack Napier killing. Bruce Wayne's parents is a little yeah. too convenient thing. Yeah. Um, but in terms of that, I, I guess, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Alfred letting Vicky go in the Batcave, I never really minded that, because, like, we didn't see the context, because, like, Vicky could have easily come to him with mm-hmm. accusations and already figured it out on her own. She was just like, and uh, Alfred was just like, you know, well, you know, you figured it out, so I'll just show you. Yeah, um, uh, try to think of something else. Like, like I've mentioned my two big scripts, like plot wise, but yeah, um, I would say also like the fact that you know the Joker brings down the Batwing with just one shot from his hilariously elongated pistol. Yeah, well, but they mean that kind of worked because like that was kind of like how it was in the comics, where it's like yeah, Joker would defy death and then do True. this ridiculous thing. His his character defies logic already. That's sort of his shtick. So yeah, I, I guess I get that. Yeah, I mean, from a logistics point, it's insane because like yeah. it's like Batman. Not only does he have all that weaponry on the Batwing, it's like he has a targeting computer that directly like puts a bullseye, literally puts a bullseye over the Joker. Yeah. And doesn't hit. Um, there's something too I just thought of. Uh, I was thinking is that scene where after like Bruce and Vicky have had sex. Um, she wakes up in the middle of the night and she finds him like swinging upside down like a bat. Yeah. And there's nothing that that scene is never mentioned or explained again. Yeah, it was kind of like just that quiet thing. Like, you almost like wonder if she thinks she dreamt that or something. Like, yeah. Like that's kind of that's kind of like that's making it pretty obvious. Like, she's kind of dumb for not realizing it sooner. Yeah. After that. Oh, this rich guy who is mysterious and had parents who were gunned down. Swings upside down at night like a bat. Hmm. Who else do we know that acts like that? Yes, um... Anyway, anyway, Knox, what were you saying about Batman? <laughs> um, buy me dinner, please. I'm hungry. <laughs> I eat light. I eat uh, light. That's the problem. I've eaten light for 30 years. I'm starving. Yeah, um... I would say, like... Hmm. Um... Maybe, uh... Of course, like the whole penguin subplot with him running for mayor. Yeah. I think that was pretty much just thrown in as a nod to uh, to the 60 series because it's not really nothing much is done with it other than, you know, Batman somehow or another through the high tech ability to hack sound systems, he's able to yeah. remix his speech. Yeah, and um, 
one thing that always kind of amused me about that movie is was like when he put the uh, CD in that he does that with and puts it into yeah, the did. slot. There's a giant bat logo on the slot. Yeah, and also as he's playing it, he he like he does like a DJ move. He he scratches the record, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of <laughs> that's kind of uh, hokey. But um, I'm I'm trying to think of, like other plot holes. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that I can't think of any yeah. or or that they don't exist rather. But it's just like I don't know. Like when I think about it, it's like it's hard to pick out any um, plot element. There's one thing I. Th- don't think we've talked about we've you and i've talked about it at length before yeah but i don't think we've talked about it like on the podcast but that sent the the first time we see bruce wayne in batman returns yeah yeah that that oh oh yeah 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 <laughs> and you know i was thinking about that when i was watching batman returns it's like i thought to myself well you know when you think about it it's like he doesn't really have bat signals he only has like magnifiers but then yeah. i thought to myself well they still automatically go automatically activate whenever the bat signals in the sky so it's like it's not really going to matter either way yeah but yeah like you know Bruce Wayne's brooding in his study in the dark yeah and then yeah because those automated bat signals come on yeah and it, it's, it just against his wall like in the most giant oh melodramatic way possible is like the giant bat signal yeah. And, and if he was having a party or something, and someone walked in that study while the bat signal was in the sky, <laughs> his cover would be blown. Um, yeah, um, I'm just a big fan of giant lights in the sky. Yeah, that, that are shaped. That's all it is. That are shaped um, like, uh, you know, bats. Yeah. Uh, um, oh my god, anyway, what about the wine? <laughs> um, with 16, 16 cases, you know, that'd be enough. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and give Knox Grant. Yeah, give Knox Grant. Uh-huh. And then one thing, too, although maybe it's probably not as big a complaint because of Batman Begins, Phil, this forward, but, like, there's really not much about, like, how he got started. Like, where, where did he learn to do all this stuff from? Yeah. And you know, it's one like, thing being rich and having means and money, mm-hmm. but, you know, you can't... Rich money doesn't... You know, it's, <laughs> despite what they say about Batman, his superpower is not money. Yeah, it's his, you know, it's his willpower, his fighting skills, his detective. Yeah. And we never, we only, we only got like vague hints of his detective side in the movie. Like when you yeah. said, like he, um, he used that sonic scrambler, like tapped into the frequency and all that. Yeah. But there is one thing I noticed about Batman Returns, as far as that goes, like it's, um, when he shows up to stop those, the circus from kidnapping all the kids. It all of a sudden, like, the next scene that you see Batman, he's already racing towards Penguin's hideout, and he knows everything. He knows, you know, the Peng- that he's going to march Penguins out into Gotham Plaza. Like, he immediately knows what the plan is. And the thing is, while he could have interrogated the Circus King, the thing is, is that Penguin didn't have the plan to blow up Gotham with the Penguins until after Batman had already stopped the guys from, you know, kidnapping all the kids. Well, I wouldn't, maybe not necessarily, because if he had that plan he could with on the fly, then he had to have a lot of missiles laying around in that sewer, because all those penguins are strapped with missiles and targeting systems. I mean, it's, well, <laughs> I've got all itself this. is like the dumbest thing. He's like, I got all these missiles, might as well use them. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, where do you get all that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean you can, you he, can, he lives in the sewer. You can kind of understand, like, where. Uh, Jack Napier kind of gets all the 
influence, like how he takes control of access chemicals, because yeah. he, he's tied in with the mob. But it's yeah. like, Penguin's like, he just gets his stuff out of nowhere. Well, I mean, I guess Shrek maybe, like, you know, Shrek's like, um, what do you need all these missiles for? And he just holds up his business partner's dead hand. Don't ask. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the films aren't perfect. Like, like you said, it's like they don't explain how Bruce became Batman or why. I mean, they explain why he became it, but you know, you don't really see any hint of like what led to this point. Which I guess you know the filmmakers thought you know you didn't really need to. It's like it is yeah. what it is. But it is kind of odd that you know you never see Michael Keaton really in in plain clothes like doing fight scenes or anything like that. You yeah. kind of you only see like a guy that kind of may look like Michael Keaton from a vague distance doing fight scenes. Yeah. Or he's in um, the shadows. So yeah. it's like it's kind of suspect, but I'm trying to think like all right. Um well plot oh, holes story uh, well all right, go ahead. Oh, I I just I just realized uh Selena Kyle. Mm-hmm. She's like the minute she becomes Catwoman, she's all acrobatic and can fight and like where did that come from? <laughs> The cat's peeing on her gave her strength. Yeah, right. they gave her gymnastics. And, and one thing, too, is the whole, her nine lives. If she actually had nine lives, or you know what I mean? That yeah. kind of... Yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, it's, it's kind of a silly thing to... I mean, these these movies, like, logic isn't really a yeah. dominant factor. Um, but um, leaps of logic, uh, the Joker killing the Waynes aside, is there anything else from... Uh, the movies, like, any kind of, like, acting, any acting, or, like, aesthetics, or anything you just didn't really care for? Um, you know, I never really thought anything about it until recent years, but the way Jack Plants delivers his lines is gruesome. It's kind of, it's kind of like everything is enunciated and and kind of over the top and... You know, like, like, kind of like that, and yeah, and it's funny how Nicholson kind of you know, he parodies him. Yeah, 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 that that's like one of the My best boy. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of thought that, but which, uh, which, like, Burton tells the tale like the reason that went through was because Burton was way too scared of Jack Palance because yeah. he kind of blew up on him at uh, behind the scenes. So, yeah. um, but uh, there's something I thought. Oh, um. I'd probably say the the way maybe he was underused, but um, you know, in the first Batman, he does make appearance in Batman Returns. But Billy D. Williams is Harvey Dent. You know, he comes in. You know, you get the coolest brother in the Star Wars universe to come in to be Harvey Dent. You know, and yeah, and he I only mean, gets like two or three scenes. Yeah, Brandy. and most of it he's on the phone smoking a cigar. Yeah, which, I mean, to be honest, is awesome. And he does get that great line, you know, Mr. Knox, we've got enough problems in the city without worrying about ghosts and goblins. I was, yeah, they, I was like that. <laughs> that, that, that that's not a denial. It's, yeah, yeah, that's not a denial. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously there was a plan there. It's just, like, by the time of Batman Returns, it seemed like the plan was kind of forgotten. Um, and then they paid him, uh, paid him out. I think you know, the, the studio, they paid him. To you know, not be in Batman Returns pretty much because he had a contract that if the character Two Face would ever appear, you know, yeah, he um, would play him. Um, and there's some, yeah, go ahead. It's kind of it's kind of interesting that 
we talk about that because like I wonder what Billy D would have been like as Two Face. Oh man, I just maybe we can talk about it more when we get into the Schumacher films. But I just would love to have heard to deliver those over the top lines that Tommy Lee Jones did, but with the the cool you know Swabness. soft yeah. suave candor that Billy D weaves us. <laughs> I, I will say one thing, more thing that bothers me about Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. They had a character, a, a aggressive reporter character. Why wasn't it Knox? That's Robert, true, yeah. You know, Robert Wool said he would have loved to come back for Batman too. Yeah, you brought that up earlier. I mean, he just has like maybe one line. You know, he's badgering the guy about getting into the Hall of Records. Yeah, and then he has that other one where he's like, you know, Oswald Cobblepot today has made his better to run Gotham. It's like, you know, why not give it to Wool? It's like, he wouldn't have had to yeah. pay him much, I yeah. don't think. Um, oh, and one thing, too. Me talking about Bill, Billy D. Williams made me think about this, but um, there's a interesting trivia is that Robin was was originally supposed to appear in Batman Returns. and Played by Damon Wayans. Played by, was it Damon Wayans? I thought it was Marlon Wayans. Well, it might be. It might be Marlon. I kind of get the two mixed up because they're in a lot of films. Yeah, it was one of the Wayans. I think it was Marlon, though, because yeah. I think Damon was, like, at the time, he was kind of doing Blank Man, so he would have been, like, too old. Yeah, and I think, yeah, Damon Wayne's a little bit older. Marlon Wayne's, yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, there yeah, was, like... Yeah, it, it, it was him. But apparently, like, the only scene he really had was that when Bruce is fixing the Batmobile after the circus, you know, screwed with it and all that, mm-hmm. and, you know, Alfred comes in and says, you know, do you want to go to the party? I think that... He was only like supposed to be like a mechanic that works in the Batcave. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> they get him to do menial work for him. Brilliant. <laughs> I, I mean, of course you would. And also, it, it harkens um, back to the serial Batman. Yeah, but Two Face and Robin. What is the obsession with turning these characters black? Uh, I don't know. I guess not, I guess because not, there's so few. Yeah. In the comics books, I mean, obviously, Lucius Fox was a like too much of a prominent yeah. character back then yeah um i guess you know i mean i mean you know not that there's anything wrong with that no no uh, but. but um but yeah i just that's something i just thought you know because he's only supposed to be in one like, where they like setting him up to show up as robin and batman forever or yeah, something like that. yeah i mean obviously batman forever was going to happen with michael keaton so i assume that would have been the film where he got robin which is almost kind of interesting in itself because I can't really picture Keaton's Batman alongside Robin. Like the way the way he doesn't really talk or interact with anyone, it's like it's kind of kind of be weird to see him kind of like as a mentor to someone. Yeah, I know. Um, especially uh, you know because yeah, his Batman is kind of a loner. I mean, but although Val Kilmer's Batman was by himself for most of the film, so yeah, I mean it's it's interesting to think about that, but it's like. You know, at the end of the day, these films, while they have their flaws, they I think the good outweighs the bad. I think that's mostly, like, while they're seen as such classics. Yeah. And for me, personally, like, it doesn't get any better than, you know, that scene where he's holding that guy over the ledge and, you know, he has a perfect delivery of that one line. And for me, that will always be my favorite line in any Batman media whatsoever. Like, even the comics, like, just the way he says, I'm Batman is so cool. Um, I was thinking, do, any, do all the Batman, like, after that, do they all get a moment? To, I know Bale got a moment, Clooney got a moment, but did Keaton get a moment to, you, you know, I'm Batman? 
Yeah, Kilmer. Damn it. Uh, Kilmer. Well, he got that. He kind of got a. He kind of got a vague nod towards it in that that scene where in Two Face is threatening the circus and he stands up and says, "Harvey, I'm Batman." Yeah, yeah. Everyone takes takes that opportune moment to yell as loud as they can. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that next time. But okay. um, I mean, is there really anything you want to say more? Just uh, big debt of gratitude goes out to, for me personally to Burton, Keaton, and company. To, you know, if not for those films, then I wouldn't be sitting here right now talking to you. But maybe, maybe, maybe that's not such a good thing. Well, you know, it's it's better we do this than, you know, about doing, you know, getting high or killing people. I mean, I know you kill people occasionally, but still. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like to think that, uh, for the most part, uh, I'm, I'm more like the Burton Batman. I'm a bit more ruthless edge to myself. You, know, <laughs> you, strap, a bomb, you strap a bomb to a black man and then punch yeah. him down the subway. Or, or um, yeah, I, I have the big flamethrower on my car yeah turn, i turn my truck around and you know catch some indian guy on fire and you you have like a chinese guy on like a helicopter ladder you shoot a you shoot like a grappling hook at him and it, his leg attaches to a gargoyle and he falls i kick like, small black lady down uh church belfry <laughs> exactly and you're all doing it while wearing a giant rubber suit i'm white man dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well yeah, I think if that's all we want to say about these films. Uh, Is there anything else you want to say? Because, you know. Just that I will forever love the films just because without them, I don't think I would have been the person I am today. Like, I think those films definitively define my childhood. Well, yeah, maybe we should wrap this up before someone sends this to uh, Burton, Keaton, and the FBI. <laughs> exactly. So until we slide down the bat poles for another installment... Farewell, Boy Wonder. Farewell, Cape Crusader. This has been Bat Month.
you think you were rid of us? One can only hope, I guess. We're like a bad case of herpes. Yeah, exactly. We always come back stronger, and we sting a little bit more every time. And we're always on your face for some reason. Yeah, it's weird, but no, we're actually doing uh, an old bit of ours that we had retired a little bit ago. We we retired it in its prime. We did this like the first episode, and we never visited it again. Yeah, exactly, and it felt like for Bat Month especially, it needed to come back. So here's a scene from The Dark Knight in Bird and MB's Acting Theater. It was starting to head. The wind don't get all fuzzy. They can't feel the next. See? You want me? I am. I wanted to see that you do. And you didn't disappoint. You let five people die. Didn't regret that take your place. Even to a guy like me, that's cold. Well, do. Those monsters want you come so they can get back to the way things were. But I know the truth. You change things forever. Uh, why do you want to kill me? Ah, I don't want to kill you. What did I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, 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 you. You complete me. You, you garbage who kills for money. Don't talk like what the damn you're not. Even if you like to be. To them you're just a freak. Like me. They need you right now, but they don't. They'll cast you out. Like a leper. See, their morals, their codes. It's a bad joke. Dropped at the very first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you. When the chips are down, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. See, I'm not the monster. I'm just the head of the curve. Where's Nip? You know, I just want to know where if I know Nip, you know? You have all these rules and you think they'll save you. Yeah. He he's in control. Don't worry about it. He, everything will be fine. He he's in control. Just just watch. I have one rule, you know. All the nice rules you have to break in order to know the truth. Which is what are you what are you talking about? You know. The only sensible way to live in this world is without rules. And tonight you're gonna break your own rule. I'm I'm really considering, you know. Well, there's only me there, so you're gonna have to play my little game if you want to save one of them. Them? You know, for a while there, I thought you really were them. The way you told yourself after her. <laughs> Look at you go. Does Harvey know about you and his little gun? Where are they? Where are they? Gearing is making a choice. Where are they? Choose between one life or the other. You have seen that this is the journey. Why is blushing right to me? Ah, you have nothing. Nothing to threaten me with. Nothing to do with all your strength. Don't worry, I'm going to tell you where they are. Both them. And that's the point. You will have to choose. He's at 250 seconds straight, and she's at that Wicks at Cicero. Which one are you going after, Batman? Uh, Rachel. Uh, who is Rachel, you know? 